Frontier Airlines is far from the most important airline in the U.S., but it is one of the most interesting. For one thing, it's changed its identity a few times in its existence. It's gone through bankruptcy. When it moves, it moves fast. Last summer, it issued a single route announcement that included 85 new routes and 21 new cities. And there are animals on the tails. Yes, the animals. That certainly adds to the frontier mystique. Will they merge with Spirit? Will they ever do an IPO? Are they in trouble? The first quarter results were rather alarming. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is a whole other animal in his own right, Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. Besides Frontier, we'll talk about United Airlines' dominance in Asia. We'll talk about Air France's search for a CEO. We'll check in on Norwegian. Plus, we'll look back on the first half of 2018. It's all coming up in episode 100 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. 100. Can you believe it? Thanks for joining us. Frontier Airlines finally reported Q1 earnings, and they weren't good. Frontier's operating profit margin was cut in half from 14% to 7% in the first quarter. Most U.S. airlines have been uh, seeing margin softening, but that was one of the worst decliners among the U.S. carriers. Seth, is there something wrong with Frontier? Well, yeah, Alaska actually was the only one uh, who's first quarter margin dropped more than frontiers so uh, it's it's disappointing even in as you con- as you said the context of uh, almost every airline uh, seeing some deterioration there uh happened uh, with revenues rising 17% on uh, a capacity increase of 21% so there you have the revenue not quite keeping track uh pace with the capacity increase that by itself not terribly alarming but costs rose 27 percent so there's where that differential came from uh you know it doesn't take a whole lot of of in-depth financial analysis to say hey if revenues rose 17 percent and costs rose 27 percent well there that's that's um that's where that margin decline comes from now uh you know frontier is not a publicly traded airline so you know one reason if you say wow they, they just came out with their second quarter earnings why is that well it's because they don't do an earnings release like 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 publicly traded airlines do they don't hold an earnings call or anything like that they kind of quietly file uh their financial information with the uh, with with the U.S. Department of Transportation, and it trickles out, and we kind of look for it and take it and crunch it, and and uh, you know come out with with the write ups like the one we just had in, in Airline Weekly. Um, but so not only is it delayed, the other thing is that there's not as much detail. Uh, so for example, uh, you know, uh, fuel costs, right? Um, obviously, a, a, you know, a, a critical factor in in uh, the fortunes of airlines. Uh, that's not one of the line items included in that data that comes out. Uh, now, look, those operating costs that rose by 27%, I mean, you can bet that some of that is is because of rising fuel costs, just like uh, it's the case at almost every airline. Um, but it's it's hard to break it down and say exactly. Uh, so so yeah, there's some holes in, 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 in our analytical ability there. But uh, you know, having said that, 
uh, when you add it all up, I mean, those, those headline numbers are uh, what they are and, and they're not real good. One of the things I would think if they held, if they were to hold an earnings call, one of the things they would probably say, just looking at other airlines that grow like they grow, um, they might note how many of their routes are, are immature markets, right? Uh, that's something we've seen. Uh, well, look, I mentioned Alaska, right? There's an airline that to varying degrees over the years, but um, you know, to more of a degree than most airlines, it, it, it's been growing rapidly and it ha- has had over the past year or so a particularly high percentage of its markets being immature markets, uh, you know, routes that have been in, in operation less than a year. And one thing we know is that usually routes take time to grow into themselves. You know, there are some, you know, sort of overnight successes, but usually when an airline starts a new route, it takes a little bit of time. And so almost by definition, if you have a lot of new routes, uh, that puts downward pressure on your profits. In Alaska's case, it has said, look, by late in the year, it's going to be a much smaller percentage of its routes that are uh, that are new, which you know it thinks is going to help its profits. Uh, in the case of Frontier, uh, you know, hard to think of another airline that has had, uh, you know, that that just has so many new routes. I think you mentioned it in the intro, Jason, uh, at one point, you know, 85 new routes all at once, including 21 all new cities. Uh, and they've gone into and out of a lot of different markets. Um, and, uh, you know, although, uh, you know, it's to their credit that they don't just kind of sit around very long in a money losing market, that, you know, they are an ultra low cost carrier. And that's how those airlines tend to operate. If the, you know, if it's if something's not, not making money, you go somewhere else. Uh, you know, on the other hand, that is a, it, it, it's a network with a lot of immature routes. Uh, and at some point, they're going to kind of have to let some of these uh, probably grow uh, grow into themselves and uh, help the airlines' profits. And if profits at Frontier are, in fact, declining, does that quash hopes for an IPO, at least in the short term? Well, that, along with just the, the fact that airline uh, uh, shares in general have been under a, a ton of pressure. Uh, we have our... The, you know, a couple of pages toward the back of airline weekly readers know where we uh, show the the uh, the sh- end of week share prices of the airlines compared to what they were a week ago and a year ago, uh, and they were almost all down last week. Uh, certainly, all the key U.S. Uh, airline shares, as as well as most around the world, and even compared to a year ago, uh, you know, most of those U.S. airline shares you know well off their highs. Uh, you know, and that includes airlines that are well-regarded airlines, you know, uh, uh, you know, an, an airline like uh, Delta, which would, would you know, just in terms of its total net profit, you know, the most profitable airline in the world, um, the, the, down 8% from where it was a year ago, American down 25%. So that just kind of tells you what's going on in the market right now. Uh, so if I tell you that in general, uh, you know, airline shares are under pressure. And then we talk about things at Frontier, uh, you know, again, granted, without a whole lot of visibility in terms of specifically what's going on, but we know, you know, that they're they're under some pressure. You would think that now probably not the best time um, for them to do a, an IPO. Now, I, I want to be clear, Jason. You know, we're, we're talking here about the kind of pressure that they're under. You know, we're still talking about an airline that. Um, let me see if I could pull up. We a few weeks ago we did our uh, our our global earnings scoreboard. Did I find it here? Yeah. Uh, luck, lucky guess here at opening the right issue. Uh, so you know, Frontier uh, out of what 
75 airlines around the world was number six in the world uh in terms of its its most recent 12 months now it'll come down probably um because of that most recent quarter when you re- replace that better quarter from a year earlier from second quarter of 2017 with with the, the that that much worse quarter of 2018 it'll it'll slip next time we run this um but you know it's still going to be better off than most uh, most other airlines in the world but yeah not the trajectory is 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 not good and and uh, generally when that's the case you know wouldn't be the best time to uh, uh try to take something to market also what does frontier consider it itself are they a hub airline or a point to point carrier Yes and yes, uh, to to a large degree. I mean, over the years, kind of gone in and out of of, of different kinds of markets, but but it is sort of this this two headed monster. On one hand, uh, you have Denver, which is um, uh, you know far larger than any other base, even if the differential isn't what it once was. I mean, they've built up places like Orlando, Las Vegas, sort of other you know places that you'd expect an ultra low cost, leisure focused carrier to build up. Um, but uh, you know, in Denver, they still have somewhat of a connecting uh, network. I mean, they they sell connections across their network. It's most relevant in in Denver because that's where they sort of have the critical mass where you could connect. Uh, they don't have the kinds of flight frequencies that they once had. You know, four or five frequencies a day in some markets. But um, uh, but they're happy to sell you the connection where they connections where they exist. Uh, and you know, to some degree, they seem to have sort of re-emphasized that. Oh, uh, um, what was it? Uh, a year or so ago, they I think it was like you know Boise and markets like that. Um, that they that they had added. Uh, and actually, United's president Scott Kirby at the at the time said, "See, you know, the the uh, the point to point business model is not working." Uh, he saw that as as, um, as as evidence of that. But uh, but anyway, you know, they 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 they're definitely more of a point to point airline than they once were. When, when you look at their network, it although they still rely to to a large degree on on their uh, on their Denver network. Uh, so. You know, we'll see uh, with with them having sort of gone back and forth, uh, having you know, Denver's a lot smaller than it once was, but then kind of off its lows uh, for them. We'll see where they, you know, how, how they continue to evolve. But there's no question that in terms of the ultra low cost business model, uh, it, it's it's not generally centered around optimizing for connections. Um, you know, you, you might be willing to sell the connections where they naturally occur, as Frontier does, as Spirit does too. Um, but I, I, spirit for one, I, I think I recall them saying about, you know, 10% of their traffic is connecting something like that. Yeah, these are going to be people, people connecting from, you know, I don't know, flying from Dallas to Fort Lauderdale and then continuing on to somewhere in, in, uh, you know, Latin America or the Caribbean, for example. But that gives you a, an, an idea of the fact that here's an airline that is happy to sell the connections, but, uh, but you know, not a huge part of your business. Uh, Frontier, if I had to guess, probably still something north of that in terms of the percentage of their of their traffic that's connecting, just because Denver is is still rather important, but um, uh, but certainly a lot less so than it was back in their you know sort of the more traditional low cost carrier heyday with with that very robust. Uh, uh, Denver network and 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 multiple multiple daily frequencies in in a lot of markets where the connections just worked better than than they now do. And I've got two questions about the animals on the tails. <laughs> How much extra do you think they pay for each customized paint job? And do you think it's worth it from 
you know, uh, the, the extra cost is worth it for whatever marketing benefit they get from it. I have no idea, Jason, what they, I, I, it's just not something I know anything about, uh, you know, how much even a more standard aircraft paint, uh, you know, paint job cost. Uh, but obviously it costs more to not doing it. As you said, just the fact that it's customized, uh, not to mention just sort of the complexity of it, the number of colors involved, you know, when, when, when spirit went to this sort of very, what's the word? I mean, they look like taxis, you know, these, these, uh, these yellow and black planes and that's all it is is yellow and black. Part of that was the, was, was the cost. It's two colors. Uh, it was very simple to do. It, it took less time to repaint the planes. Um, then back when they had a more complex scheme and so you know the the animals certainly go against the grain of the ultra low cost uh, business model uh but it, it's it's one of those things where look i'm sure if they were starting the airline today as a clean sheet you know greenfield project they would not do that but as a legacy thing it's already there um you know they're they're denver you know, area customers or sort of legacy customer customer base already feels like this airline is, you know, taking a lot from them in terms of what they what they used to have. However, you know, unsustainable a lot of it might have been because you know, I think you mentioned the airline was, was bankrupt at one point, so they had to do something. But anyway, uh, you know, I think they're just calculating here that just as they are willing to give you a, a cup of water. Uh, without charging you for it, which Spirit's not willing to do, that this is just something that um, that it's 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 tolerable and at least not worth the uh, the anger that it would cause um, if they were to uh, to go away from the animals. Um, and there are, you know, I remember Midwest Airline, the Milwaukee-based airline. Uh, its calling card was. Uh, these hot cookies that they that they served on board, and everybody loved the cookies. And and even as they went down the road of you know becoming a you know more of a budget operation, uh, they they held on to the cookies. And in fact, the cookies survived the airline. Uh, ironically, on Frontier, the same Republic at one point owned both of them and kind of merged them. For a while, Frontier was serving the Midwest cookies, and that was and that was you know it was just one of those things. They said, "Look, these cookies make people happy. Let's let's uh, let's keep doing them." And I think that's uh, how Frontier sees the animals. Never mind the fact that it's probably pretty difficult to trace uh, how the money spent on the animals flows to the bottom line. In a recent Airline Weekly cover story, we talked about how American Airlines' smaller presence in Asia really isn't that big of a problem. To put some numbers to it, American got just 5% of its revenues from Asia in 2017, Delta got 7%, and United got 13%, quite a big difference. The cover story talked about how that's not necessarily a problem for American. But let's flip that around. If Americans 5% is okay, what does United's 13% mean to United? Well, when times are, are tough in Asia, uh, it's, it, it can be an albatross, right? Um, it, and Asia is a place where, you know, it, it's, it's bounced off its lows here at some points over the past few years. But there, you know, there's just a lot of capacity uh, in, in, in general. Uh, somebody said to me earlier, they were on the, the United flight from, uh, uh, from Los Angeles to, to Tokyo. And it were, it, the conversation was about something else. They were saying they have you know, Dreamliners on the market now and the plane. Yeah, they were saying nice things about the plane, but, but, uh, but, but they sort of dropped in there that, oh yeah, it, it was cost $400 for, for, uh, for economy ticket. 
Uh, so, so, so there you go. When people are paying four hundred dollars, sometimes, granted, that's not the average fare, but uh, you know, really low fares to Asia, uh, then that's when you don't mind having uh, you know five percent exposure to Asia rather than thirteen percent. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's you know, as as Asia goes, so goes United to a much greater degree than American. Now, look, all these airlines have 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 situations like that uh, in Latin America. Uh, it's it's completely reversed, especially when you talk about South America. You know that's where American Airlines. You know when things go wrong in Brazil, as they have in recent years, um, uh, now off their lows, and just just in the region in general. Well, guess what? That's a bigger problem for American uh, than it is for for uh, for United or, or, or Delta, for that matter. So all of these airlines have have their you know areas of strength, which be, quickly become liabilities when when things go wrong. Um, but yeah, American, uh, not a huge player in Asia, but, um, you know, probably happy with its, uh, uh, presence there. And it's kind of an outsized exposure because of its, its joint venture with, with Japan airlines. Um, so it, you know, it can get its customers a lot of places in Asia. It just doesn't do a whole lot of the flying, uh, relatively by itself. Interestingly about that, by the way, just one fact, and it, and it was, I think, a, a pretty interesting, uh, cover story overall, but one fact, uh, is that that joint venture between American Airlines and, and and Japan Airlines, JAL? You know, most of these joint ventures, when you have two airlines that are kind of you know both giant airlines, uh, generally kind of operated 50 50. Uh, you know, so like United has a similar joint venture with All Nippon, ANA, uh, in, in Japan. And yeah, both of them fly roughly half, uh, you know, operate roughly half of the uh, the flying. Uh, with American and JAL, JAL does uh, like, uh, like, two thirds or three quarters of it um and uh so so yeah just kind of interesting that even that big joint venture you know american just doesn't do as much of uh, of the work and uh you know seems seems uh uh seems pretty sanguine about it's it's um relatively small presence in asia Air France is looking for a CEO, and they reportedly were considering choosing an executive from the French utility company, Viola. Seth, how risky is it to pick someone outside the industry? Well, you can understand why stakeholders, uh, shareholders for that matter, like Delta, which which apparently was one that objected to the idea, you know, why they would be concerned. Um, you know, this is an industry that... I don't know. Maybe everybody feels this way about their industry, but this industry certainly is is uh, uh, you know there's there's a lot that's particular to it, and there's a learning curve if you're from outside it. Uh, you know, and, and throughout history, uh, some really smart and capable people have come from other you know accomplished people have come from other industries um, and have had difficulty um, in, in in the airline industry. It's uh, you know it's a it's a labor intensive industry for one thing. Obviously, that's that's part of what uh, what what plagues Air France is it's uh, it's 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 labor situation. When I say labor intensive, I just mean uh, yeah, there, it just takes a lot more employees to produce the same amount of revenue in the airline industry uh, than in other industries. You know, Google produces a lot more revenue uh, than American Airlines, let's say, with fewer employees, right? Uh, so. Um, so that being the, the case, you know, that's the skill set that's really, really important um, for an airline executive, knowing how to, um, you know, how to, how to deal with a, a workforce. A, in the case of many airlines, certainly our friends are heavily unionized workforce. Um, and then just understanding the airline economics I mean, all the stuff we talk about here. Again, there are people who are a lot you know, smarter than uh, than I am who, um, you know, who don't know 
uh, about some of the kinds of things we talk about here on on this podcast, right? Having said that, uh, th- there is there's also precedent for people coming from outside of the in- outside the industry doing well at, at airlines, and and um, you know, it, uh, sort of in Air France's neighborhood, the the first one that comes to mind would be Carolyn McCall. Who did a great job at at at, at EasyJet? Um, she came from outside the airline industry, and she wasn't even in transportation or anything. Uh, and uh, it, it just did a great job. You know, went there and and um, and learned the business very well regarded. But um, but yeah, just just learned the business and uh, left the airline in, in in better shape than she found it. Uh, so it happens. Um, and uh, you know, perhaps it could happen to Air France KLM too. Again. At least some of the shareholders with influence seem to think, yeah, the safer bet here is, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a, a heck of a beast they need to tame, um, and uh, better to sort of lower the risk by at least starting with somebody who's uh, who's in the industry. A lot of people, by the way, want KLM CEO. So I'm talking the, the CEO of just the KLM side of the company, uh, Peter Albers. A lot of people think, well, why not him? He's he's very well regarded, and and um, you know, KLM is is is. Uh, of course, the more successful side of the company, uh, but he's not French. And and uh, at the, the group level at Air France KLM, that matters a lot. And, uh, you know, that's that's um, part of the issue. Um, so, bon chance, as they say in uh, in French. Uh, good luck to them finding a, uh, a Frenchman who, <laughs> who is or a woman who's who's uh, who's up to uh, to this task. It seems like we can't really do an episode these days without talking about Norwegian. So, Seth, I'm just going to ask, is there any update there? <laughs> well, um, you know, one big question with them is, are they going to remain independent? Is somebody else going to buy them? I mean, they can't keep losing money at the clip that are losing it and stay and stay independent. At some point, it would it would uh, they would just run out of money, um, uh, even if they could keep themselves afloat for a while because of, of a lot of their assets, the aircraft and, and uh, all the rest of it. So, you know, you've got IAG, uh, the parent company of British Airways, Aer Lingus, Siberia, Whaling, uh, with clear interest in, in buying Norwegian. And, and Lufthansa um, ha- has hinted it might be interested. It's not, look, Norwegian's not as obvious as a strategic fit for Lufthansa. Um, you know, in the case of IAG, you could see, I mean, Norwegian has all these Gatwick slots uh, that IAG would rather, London Gatwick, I'm talking, uh, slots that, that IAG would clearly like to have, just, you know, really build, continue to build up their operation there as they've been doing. Uh, not to mention, it would it would get a very important competitor uh, out, out of the way, even if they wouldn't um, quite emphasize that when they're looking for regulatory approval. But But legitimately, and I mean, this is the thing, you know, Norwegian again, it can't keep going as it is, right? So that so they could say, listen, we are, but you know, we're rescuing a company and and uh, rescuing a lot of these jobs. Um, uh, this would be a more orderly transition for Norwegian than it just, um, you know, perhaps uh, going bankrupt and ceasing flying someday. So anyway, uh, is Lufthansa really interested? Well, um, you know, maybe or maybe it just wants to bid to drive up the price for IAG, which is something that airlines do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, IAG is an extraordinarily strong company. And if Lufthansa could at least force IAG to pay more, um, and kind of weaken its balance sheet, uh, more in the, uh, in the pursuit of, of, uh, of Norwegian, then, uh, you know, that in itself would be a victory. Norwegian itself, by the way, um, seems to be softening its, its resolve to fight, uh, you know, these, these, takeover attempts uh you know they might sort of understand that this is the the uh the most 
graceful uh, landing for the company if they can uh, if they can get a deal that uh, that they can live with for their shareholders. One airline that has even uh, less certain future than Nor- Norwegian is Tanzania's FastJet. Seth, is FastJet going to be with us much longer? Well, I mean, the, the, the question is quickly losing relevance in the sense that it's just such a shadow of its, well, its former self and, and most certainly of its of its one-time ambitions. I mean, this was supposed to be the, uh, you know, the big low-cost carrier um, to rescue sub-Saharan Africa from high-cost, uh, unreliable air, air transportation. Uh, and, and it started with high hopes, uh, you know, and there were people said it could, couldn't be done, but you know, other people said, well, look, look all around the world, all those other regions where they were supposedly couldn't be done and it has been done, but it turns out this is one place where apparently it really couldn't be done. Um, or at least that that's the evidence so far. Uh, so, you know, now it's down to, um, uh, I mean, at one point it was supposed to grow really big with a huge fleet of, of A319s. I think it had maybe a half dozen Airbus 319s at its at its peak. Now it's down to five aircraft, but there are, uh, I believe, two E190s and three Embraer regional jet 145s. Uh, so you know, that, that's that's what it is. Uh, it certainly doesn't sound like a low-cost operation to me when you're talking about you know 50-seat se- 50 regional jets uh, with very high unit cost uh, being three-fifths of that of that tiny fleet uh and uh just in case you think that maybe somehow you know it's making money and we just don't realize it yeah they they uh reported some earnings recently a negative 55 percent not a normal typo negative 55 percent operating uh loss margins or in calendar year uh well during last last year 2017 so uh those are numbers that make uh norwegian uh for one look uh look very very um profitable so you know we'll see uh it did get some uh some rescue funding just uh just last week i mean it looks like it really might have been in its last days so it uh it seems like it's gonna limp along here a little while longer but um but uh, you know, even even if it still exists for a while longer, to answer your question, you know, not it's not at all what it was uh, what it was supposed to have been. What do you know about Green Africa Airways? Well, that's the newest hope uh, in in Sub-Saharan Africa. In this case, we're talking the other side of the continent, Nigeria, Western Africa. You know, it's it's raising capital it's gotten uh, some some commitments so far uh, and it has some interesting people advising it uh, and sometimes when you know some big names are advising an airline you think well you know maybe maybe there's there's hope um for one thing american airlines uh former ceo tom horton uh and you know it's well there's some other executives with with some uh, name recognition so uh so they're gonna try uh there, there, you know, there's a long list of airlines that have tried in nigeria in in, in particular um, and it sounds like they're going to be sort of a somewhat of a low cost carrier. We don't know a lot yet about what they what they're going to look like or what kind of aircraft they're going to end up with or or anything like that. But yeah, um, you know, low cost carriers tough to do that in sub Saharan Africa, and being a Nigerian airline is is, is something else that's tough. So uh, between those two factors, uh, you know, 
hard to get too excited at this stage. Um, but uh, but yeah, Green Africa Airways, a name uh, at least to, 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 to pay attention to here uh, going forward. And while we're talking about African carriers, how hopeful are you about Kenya Airways now that it's emerging from restructuring? Yeah, well, it, it's it's uh, well a lot more hopeful than I was uh, you know, a couple of years ago. I mean, it, it was in it was in awful shape and, and there's work left to be done. But um, yeah, it's no longer just trying to uh, to get through the day uh, talking now about fleet renewal. So that's, uh, you know, that's exciting. Uh, Bloomberg News reported uh, might order up to 10 uh, 737 maxes, this new generation uh, uh, 737, new, newly engined 737s. Uh, you know, then as previously announced, going to start flying to New York, uh, Dreamliners to New York coming up in uh, October. So, uh, so yeah, a, a, an airline that, um, that, yeah, finally some, some, uh, some, uh, reasons to hope for, you know, that tomorrow might be better than yesterday, uh, continuing sort of, uh, this, this pattern we've seen over the past years of, of, uh, optimism building up then. Um, and, and by the way, if you, uh, uh, turning back to those stock pages, I mentioned how it's just, you know, just red numbers all around in terms of, uh, you know, the changes compared to last week and, and, uh, and even for many of these airlines compared to a year ago around the world. Um, I'm just quick taking a quick look. I don't think does any other airline has any other airline done as well as Kenya? No. Uh, so all the all the airlines on our on our pages, and I guess it's what forty of them or something. Kenya Airways, yeah, up one hundred thirteen percent compared to a year ago, and that's even actually well off its highs that it set uh, a few months back. So uh, that tells you that the uh, the the market uh, is optimistic, even though it's still you know I mean it's better off than most airlines in sub-Saharan Africa still. Ethiopian, which actually was the subject of this week's cover story in Airline Weekly, e- Ethiopian is still sort of the standard bearer as far as we could tell. Not a publicly traded airline, um, so so limited visibility into its finances, but we have some, and uh, uh, they're you know they're the biggest, and uh, and by all appearances the uh, the the uh, the standout performer uh, in terms of finances. But uh, yeah, Kenya Airways uh, very much back in the game now. I'm looking at the calendar and it says we've passed the halfway point in 2018. And I'm sure you guys in editorial are working on a review of the first half cover story. I'm sure you guys will talk about significant industry trends and I don't want to trample that. So instead I want to find out Seth, how you feel about the first half of 2018. Seriously, we're gonna go oh, it's one getting mushy. at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need some piano music mm. right now. Yeah, Seth, in the first half of the year, what story shocked you the most? Well, you know, I mean, one we, one we mentioned earlier, yeah, IAG uh, going after Norwegian. Um, I, I, I mean, now it, it makes perfect sense, right? But I just didn't see it coming. I mean, I think we, we, you know, we talked on here about it. is Norwegian going to survive, and and uh, even even though it. Uh, now it's easy to say. Well, of course, that would be a a an elegant way for them to uh, uh, to give themselves a better future, uh, albeit not an independent one. Um, yeah, that that just uh, I, I didn't see that coming, and and uh, and it's also a very significant story, right? Norwegian has, is is uh, you know there there are things that are that are surprising but not terribly important. Norwegian is a rather important airline to uh, uh, to markets everywhere, to airports, uh, you know, certainly all over. Uh, uh, Europe, North America, and beyond, uh, and and so yeah, I have to say that that 
that would be the first first one that comes to mind anyway. What story worries you the most? Well, I think just a lot of the the, the storm clouds here uh, that, that are that are gathering. Um, you know, oil prices are are on their way up. Uh, the global economy is perhaps on its way down uh, with all this. You know, these emerging uh, trade. Yeah, I don't know if we're, we're yet in a full fledged trade war, but we certainly see some trade battles here. You know, economists say that so far it's mostly symbolic, right? You know, in terms of just you know getting to a point where it really shows up in GDP data, but uh, but you know we could get there. Yeah, just 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 uh, uh, the 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 worst situation would be if oil prices were to continue rising uh, at the same time that uh, that there's an economic downturn. Usually, what helpfully happens is at least they sort of go in tandem. Where you know, if you have economic weakness. Uh, then, then oil prices at least drop to give airlines some relief on the uh, on the cost side. But that would be uh, the worst situation of all if if you had at least for a period of time both uh, some some softening of demand along with uh, uh, costs rising due to uh, higher oil prices. What story made you the saddest? Well, um, in in commercial terms, so so you know, uh, so speaking not of of the uh, you know the tragedy on Southwest or, or, or a few of the crashes in developing markets. Well, yeah, look at the, the, the fact that Mexico's airport, Mexico city's airport might not be completed I and mean, we'll see here, but, but uh, you know, the, the, uh, the victor in, in uh, the presidential race said he was going to suspend the, uh, the program. Uh, you know, is Berlin's airport ever going to open? I don't know. And what story made you the happiest? Uh, good to see Copa, Panama's Copa, back uh, right near the top of the profitability leaderboard. Uh, you know they had been for many years. Then, with all the uh, economic issues in in uh, in Latin America, just just you know, uh, hard for them to avoid getting getting hit. Um, at least you know by their own standards, they were uh, they were well off the where, where they had been. And yeah, looking at it, looking at that leaderboard I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, you know, seventy-five airlines or so in the world. Copa's already back up to number three by operating profit margin, behind only uh, behind Ryanair and Hawaiian. Uh, in case you're wondering. And finally, what story gave you the most hope? I'd say Turkish Airlines and kind of related to them, Pegasus, the low-cost carrier there. Now they're not, you know, right near the top of that list. Uh, but to see them, you know, kind of middle of the pack in the, in the, in the top half actually, again, is, is uh, real encouraging considering how, how bad things were in Turkey. Um, you know, they've, they really managed to uh, pull themselves back together and, and uh, very much you know, going in the right direction. Great trajectory for them. Okay. There you have it. That's how Seth Kaplan feels <laughs> about the first half of 2018. <laughs> They say in journalism, don't whatever you do, don't you become the story. Well, we just broke that rule. (laughs) For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. And for the 100th time, thank you for spending some time in the Airline Weekly Lounge.
A celebration to last throughout the years. So bring 